When you look back on the history of the world, humans have done some amazing things, some fantastical feats of strength and ingenuity, things that have stood the test of time. We've probably all heard of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Well, I was surprised that this list was created by Philo of Byzantium 225 years before Christ. Way back then, someone looked around and said, these accomplishments need to be documented. And these are the seven wonders of the ancient world. You've got first the great pyramids of Giza. They stood as the tallest structure in the world for 4,000 years until the 19th century. That was, it wasn't until then that man created a building that was higher. Then you've got the hanging gardens of Babylon. This would have taken an engineering marvel to irrigate this tower of greenery in the desert. You've got the statue of Zeus at Olympia. At the site of the ancient Olympic Games, this statue stood 40 feet tall. You've got the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, which was built around 500 years before Christ. And it was said about this temple that the sun never looked on anything so grand. You've got the mausoleum at uh, Halicarnassus. Uh, uh, this building was where we get that word mausoleum from. It was a grave built for the king Mausolus upon his death, and it was made completely out of white marble. It stood 135 feet high. And you've got Colossus of Rhodes. This was an enormous bronze statue that took over 12 years to build, and this is 300 years before Christ. It stood 100 feet tall. And lastly, you have the lighthouse of Alexandria, a 380-foot tower that helped guide Nile River ships through that busy harbor. Humanity is capable of some beautiful and amazing things. But they're also capable of some destructive and terrible things. All but one of those wonders of the ancient world was destroyed by either wars or natural forces. Only the pyramids of Giza still stand today. People had spent years and years building these structures, and they spent huge amounts of wealth building these monuments only for them to crumble. But there is one place that you can build that will not fade away. It tells us this in Matthew 6, 19. It says, do not lay yourself treasures on earth. Don't build yourself monuments. Don't build yourself towers on this earth. Why? Because moth and rust destroys it. Thieves break in and steal. But instead, it says, to lay yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Next, it tells us something very revealing about us. It says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Here's the problem. That is, life is temporary. I'm sure as they built this tower, uh, this temple of Artemis and the Colossus of Rhodes, this huge statue, that they believed that people would remember them forever when they looked at this building. But it was temporary. So in this series, we're going to look at some ways to live 
that will last. Seven foundational truths from God's word that will help us build a wonderful life that will last. All for God's glory. An outline by Andy Stanley is going to help us with these seven wonders of God's word. These seven things are vitally important for you to believe. They're vitally important for you to teach them to your children. They're vitally important for you to remind your family and friends. And that's the challenge every one of these weeks is for you to share this truth with someone during the week. Now, these things aren't new. They're not going to blow your mind. But I dare say that many of the most important things for you to know, you already know. And the first one is this. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. In order to build a life that lasts, you have to know this. You have to put work into this and remind your heart this. Because there's a lot of people in our community that used to say that they believe this. People that grew up in church and in youth group. They were people of faith. But something happened. I was a youth pastor for eight years. And I'm sad to say that there are a number of my students that used to be people of faith that no longer are. And I still have hope for them. I have hope for many reasons because God's hand is never uh, too short to reach anybody. But I've also seen some of those students that I thought had lost their faith come back to faith at 22 and 23. And they're rediscovering that God can be trusted and that the things in this world are fading and crumbling. They're too common uh, culprits with students that lose faith that I think apply to adults as well. And the first one is this, is bad choices, bad decisions. People make mistakes and they're overcome with guilt. And at that point, they have a decision to make. Either they can run to God and ask for forgiveness and turn away from those bad decisions... Or they can double down on those bad decisions and change their belief system and run from God. And many times it's easier, especially in this culture that we live in today, to say, well, I don't believe that what I thought was wrong is actually wrong anymore. Yeah, I know the Bible says this and it sounds clear, but I don't think that that's what it means for us today. Or someone might go as far as ditching belief in God at all. But our faith should be grounded on something that's much longer lasting than our whims, much deeper than our emotions. Otherwise, it's a very shallow faith. You've got to admit that you need help outside of yourself. It's something that lasts. So that's the first one. Doubling down on our bad choices can make us lose our faith. And the second main reason... That students lose their faith is inexplicable tragedy. Real and painful situations can come into our lives that will shake our belief in a good God. And we can begin to think that this situation that we're in gives evidence that either God is not in control or God is not good. And it is true that sin has broken this world. And as a result... Pain and death and tragedy run rampant. But God will deal with it all. 
He will deal with it in the end. And God isn't far away. So much so that he sent his son to walk through the pain and the hurt just like you so that he could walk with you in it right now. And not just that, but to save you from the pain and the hurt that you cause to other people. See, real faith is bigger than a feeling. God is not Tinkerbell, where he gets his power from your belief. Your faith doesn't change God. Genuine faith is more than just things are going good, so I'm going to believe in God now. Things are going bad, so I'm not going to believe in him then. And hard times in your life are not automatically a result of a lack of faith. Good times in your life are not necessarily a result of you having an abundance of faith. The Bible tells us that in Matthew 5, 45, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. We aren't mystics trying to interpret what God is trying to tell us by every event that happens to us in our life. If it rains on your wedding day, that doesn't necessarily mean that God is mad at you. And while getting a promotion is a blessing, it's not necessarily God's stamp of approval on your life. We can do that in America, right? We can say, well, this person is really good at business, so that must mean that they're a good person. And that's not how it works. And we know this because people of great faith in God's word, like Abel, served God the correct way and immediately got murdered. God wasn't mad at Abel. Noah followed God and was mocked and ridiculed. Joseph went from getting sold into slavery by his brothers to then jail and then the palace. But what if in the pit he lost faith and decided to reject God because he thought God was showing him that he was cursed and he gave up then? Moses' life starts off being sent away from his parents in a basket. Many of the disciples died for their faith. Paul suffered beatings and ailments and martyrdom. Bad stuff happening to you doesn't necessarily mean you're on the wrong path. And good stuff happening to you doesn't always mean you're on the right path. We need to stop reading every circumstance in our life like it's tea leaves. That's Christian superstition. And you might say, well, I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. <laughs> no. Bad times and good times are going to come in your life. In either situation, believe God, have faith, obey him. He can be trusted. Search God's word for what to do. Don't try and read everything in your life like you're trying to find out your horoscope. No, submit your will to his will in prayer and hold on during the bad and the good times. And let him lead you with that still small voice called the Holy Spirit. And have faith even when bad things happen. And I believe that's why we've lost some people in the church today. Because we tried to promise them that everything was going to be easy and comfortable if they just do this list of things. And when that didn't happen, they left and they ran away. That's not what the Bible says. Every single person of faith in God's word had a rough time. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to not walk through it alone. 
Don't let bad choices or inexplicable tragedy push you away from your loving Father. God may not answer your prayer today, but if you're a Jesus follower, you do have a promise that God will take all pain and tears away and he will make all things right in the next life. See, the foundation of our faith is a person, not a feeling, not our circumstances. God's word tells us what to do. We follow God's word. Jesus showed us everything that we needed to have faith that we can trust God through his life and his death and his resurrection. But see, some have lost faith because they put their foundation on a preacher. And that pastor failed them. Some have fallen away from the faith because their parents were their foundation, but they aren't kids anymore. Some have fallen away from the faith because the church was irrelevant and ceased to do the mission it was called to do. And they fell in love with stuff and power in the past. I have a friend that recently was talking about when he was shaken in his faith the most. And he recalls a story at 14 years old when he sat there and listened to a church in a business meeting. And that's what shook his faith. When he saw the people of God acting in a way that didn't reflect the life of Christ. See, Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Nothing more. Christ is all that we need for everlasting joy. And if you rest your faith on anything else, it will crumble because it cannot support the weight of your soul. Your faith cannot rest on everything working out. Your faith cannot rest on knowing the whole plan and why everything happens. Your faith cannot rest on God doing things your way or agreeing with your thoughts. Your faith can't even rest on answered prayers. Just look at the life of Job. Your faith must rest on Christ and Christ alone. The finished work on the cross. Everything that you need to know to trust God was displayed on the cross. Grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. The cross says, I love you, written in red. We can trust God because of the cross. Hebrews 12, 2, Paul pushes us to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. What is that joy that was set before him? That is our salvation, the ability for us to have a relationship with him. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus proved that you can trust God through that old rugged cross. But what is faith? Right? Can I trust God? What, what is that trust? The Bible defines faith in Hebrews 11 when it says faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence, hope, assurance. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says faith is hope taken one step further. Faith is hope in action. Faith is the confidence that God is who he said he is, and he will do what he said he will do. 
Faith is not like the force in Star Wars where you can bend God's power to your will. No, you bend to God's will. Faith is resting yourself on the will of the Father to let Him use you. Faith is not the way that you get God to do something for you. No, it's trusting Him in what He already gave you and what He's already doing. Faith is believing the promises of God. God is a good Father, and we should trust Him. God is not a reflection of you. God is not even a reflection of your father. God is the picture of the perfect father that knows what's best, even when that means we don't get what we want. But because he's a good father, we can always go with confidence to ask. Hebrews 4.14 tells us that we have a great high priest. This is Jesus who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. We have this high priest that we can go to. And then it says, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weakness. No, but we have one that in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us have confidence then and draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our God is not a faraway God that is angry at us. Our God has a sympathetic ear. Jesus walked this earth and he knows how hard life is. He was tempted in all ways that we were tempted, but without sin. And because he has been and he knows where we are, we can go to him honestly knowing that he will understand. Jesus before the cross faced fear. The Bible says he dreaded in the garden the cross. He faced rejection. Friends and family members turned their back on him. He faced loss. All that he had built in his life was crumbling. He faced loneliness and abandonment as his friends ran away when he needed them the most. We can trust God because he understands. And we can trust God because he is near to us in our times of trouble. Uh, excuse me, uh, Psalms 46.1 tells us that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. doesn't say partially present or halfway present. He's not there with us on the couch but looking at his phone like we are with most people. No, he is a very present help in trouble. And sometimes God does change your circumstances when you call out to him. And that's amazing. It's happened to me, and it's, it's the best way, in my opinion, for God to work, right? We love it when he just gets us out of it. But sometimes God doesn't get you out of that trouble and that circumstance. And sometimes he changes you in your circumstances. But either way, you can know that you are not alone and you can trust him. See, there is a promise that is attached to real and genuine faith. And it's not that you can make God do what is against his will. No, he has a will and he will do it. But there is a promise 
if you will trust and have faith in God. And that's found in Proverbs 2, uh, 2 verse 5. It tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. The Hebrew word there for trust means literally to lie down. Can you imagine how much trust it would take for me to just lie down right here on this stage? That you wouldn't judge me? That you wouldn't, you know, throw something at me or something? I'll do it. <laughs> that word means trust means to lie down and to rest. Have you ever had people over your house? You immediately know how much someone trusts you if when you sit down on the couch, they just lay out, right? And they're just like, ah. Why? Because you have that type of relationship. Tori and I uh, and the kids went down to Georgia uh, this last summer and we went to a water park. And then we found a hotel room, and we were exhausted. And it's that special kind of water park exhausted, right? It was just like, man, we're all just like tired. We're not even talking to each other. We just lay down in the bed for a little while. It's only like 8 o'clock. Tori went to plug her phone in, and there, right on the bed stand, right in her face, about to bite her face off, was a cockroach. It was this big. Yeah. Well, needless to say, we did not lie down and rest in that room that night. Why? Because we no longer trusted it. Those people could have been the nicest people in the world. Didn't matter. We lost trust in that room. And when we truly trust the Lord, we rest on his word and his promises. Our shepherd wants us to lie down in green pastures. He wants to restore our soul. Trust God in every area of your life. The things that you feel like will never get fixed. The things that you've had this conflict with somebody you feel like forever. And you're just trying to think of all the ways that you can make it work out. And you can make that other person. No. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's the promise, that if we do that, God will guide us, God will lead us. He will make our path clear and obvious. If we will rest in him, he will give you purpose and direction. Everything might not be easy, but you will have the Lord walking there beside you. You're not going to make everything work out. If you trust God, you're going to turn to him first when you're at a crossroads. The first reaction when you, uh, you know, don't trust God is going to be that you're going to go to try and fix it with everybody else. You're going to try, go try and talk to everybody else, get everybody else on your side in a certain situation instead of leaning on his understanding rather than your understanding. I'm reading a book uh, about anxiety and, uh, you know, from a Christian perspective, and it talks about categorizing our worries. And the three categories 
The one being things that are my responsibility to bear. God has given us things to do, right? I can't just say, well, I'm you know, not going to go into work for a while and I'm just not going to prepare for anything and it's all on God and he's got it. No, God has given me responsibilities with my family, with my job, to pay taxes, all these things. Some things are mine to bear. Some of my worries, though, are someone else's to bear. Right? Have you ever had a situation in a person in your life where you feel like you've done absolutely everything you can to make it okay, but they're never okay? You can't worry about that your whole life. God is going to have to deal with that person directly. And then there's responsibilities that is only God's to bear. Things that, God, I, I don't know what to do here. And God, I'm not going to carry it on my shoulders because it's yours. Things that are mine to bear, others to bear, and God's to bear. And not leaning on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledging him and that he is in control and that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We're going to go to God first with the things that we need him to work if we trust and rest in him. James tells us that if we lack wisdom, ask God. He gives it. He can make a way when there is no way. He can make crooked paths straight. Thomas Merton says this, he says, we receive enlightenment and, and, and leading and guiding only in proportion as we give ourselves more completely to God by humble submission and love. We do not first see and then act, we act and then see. And that is why the man who waits to see clearly before he will believe never starts on the journey. Faith is much like that scene in Indiana Jones, right? When he's going over to get that, uh, the, the goblet, right? And he looks down at the uh, a big crevasse, right? This big giant uh, hole in the ground. And it looks like there is no bridge there. But that's the clue is he has to walk by faith, not by sight. And he steps out. And God uh, in our life works just like that. Sometimes you have to walk before you see and act before you know the end. See, God promises a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. He doesn't promise a spotlight down the road. He doesn't promise GPS directions where we can see exactly how long it's going to take and whether or not there's going to be any accidents or police on the side of the road. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And that's what faith is, is taking small steps towards God. And we can take these small steps because God can be trusted. He is who he said he is. He's a good father, and he will do all that he promises that he will do. If you haven't noticed it, this world is full of confusion this world is full of lies. This world is full of people that are trying to get your attention constantly. And they'll paint the other side bad just so that you'll get on their side so they can control you. And the other side will do the same thing. And there's this constant bombardment of messages that people want you to believe. And you need things in this life that are true, that you can hold on to in the shaking and crumbling world. This is that first truth in God's word that will help you live a wonderful life that will last. God can be trusted.
every head's bowed, eyes closed. Where are you not trusting God this morning? What's that thing that you've been carrying forever that you know is God's responsibility to take care of, but you keep trying to take care of it, keeps making it worse? When are you going to learn? God, I give it to you. Maybe you're the one that just needs to rest and lie down. Trust God. That what God said he'd do, he's going to do. And I know that things might not always be perfect. Things might not always go my way. But God is in control. And I am not alone. I'm going to take a few minutes here. As the worship team uh, plays here. We want to just spend some time. In meditation, in prayer. Wherever God spoke to our hearts and our Holy Spirit worked to change our heart to whatever God wants us to do. Maybe it's simply all it is today is you telling God, God, I mean it, I trust you. Whatever you do, I trust you. Even when it hurts, I trust you. Even when it doesn't make sense, I trust you. Even when that other person, I feel like, is out to get me, God, I trust you, and I, I'm going to do my best to get on your side and to be on your path because I know your path is straight and your path is clear and has purpose and direction. And I'm going to stop trying to make you do things my way, God, and I'm going to bend my will to your way. Let's take a few minutes and pray. As we continue to pray, I want to talk to those in the room that may not know for sure they have a relationship with God. That's the first step of trusting God. 
can call it salvation. You can call it, the Bible does, calls it being born again. Call it becoming a disciple of Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus. No matter what you call it, there's a time in your life where you have that choice to make. You can either continue to do things your way Continue to follow your will. See, there's a problem with that. We're all born with this problem called sin. Sin is a word we don't use very often anymore. It simply means anytime you do something that is against God's way. Whether it's lying or cheating or adultery or stealing or hating or gossiping. Even uh, the most holy person in the world that you could think of has sinned over and over and over again. And we've done things our way rather than God's way. It happened way back at the beginning of time. And when that sin rushed into this world, it brought pain and hurt and disease and death. The Bible goes as far to say that the wages of our sin is death. What we earn and deserve for our sin is a eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God always had a plan to send his son, Jesus Christ. The only innocent person to ever walk this earth 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years And then he laid down his life on a cross. And he took all our sin upon himself. The punishment that we earned and deserved, Jesus paid it all. And on the third day, he rose from the grave, bringing our salvation with him. That time in your life we talked about is is a time when you put all your faith and all your hope in what Jesus did and what Jesus did alone. No amount of your good works or church membership or, you know, who your parents were. It's a time where you put all your faith and trust in Jesus. This is the gospel. Jesus in my place. You can call out to him right now. Words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. It's about a decision in your heart. Put all your faith and trust and to rest in what Jesus did on the cross. Again, the words aren't important. You can change them however you want to, but it's about a genuine decision in your heart. But you can call out to him right now. Something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a a sinner and that I need a Savior. I know because of my sin that, that I deserve help. God, forgive me. Forgive me for doing things my way instead of your way. I put all my faith in what Jesus did on the cross. It's the only means of my salvation. Turn away from my sin. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you today and you made that choice, you weren't playing games with God, it's not just a prayer that you recited, but you're genuinely in your heart making that 
decision for the first time or maybe just the first time you really understood it. I'm going to encourage you to, to write that on your connection card. I chose Jesus. Hand that in and I'd love to follow up with you on what you did today and, and talk about what's next. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, as we continue in worship, God, I pray that we decide to trust you in all our ways, acknowledging that you are who you said you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.